Welcome to the close-up red carpet for the big end-of-year wrap-up tonight. Joe comes in with a suit. Someone's looking spiffy for the occasion. And Ryan? Going for the casual Friday thing, I see. <coughs> Let's hope the films we discussed tonight are less disappointing. Hello, interwebs, and welcome to Close Up. I'm your co-host, Joe. And I'm Ryan. Today, Ryan and I sum up our favorite entertainment of 2022. Movies, video games, and television. Remember, we didn't see everything, and we're not above some controversial picks. It's not a best of 2022 list, just our favorites. From this mm -hmm. extreme long shot, we zoom into our medium shot. What do you generally think of the media you consumed in 2022? It was alright. You know, there's a few standout ones that I was like, okay, good movies can be good. But the ones that I was just generally disappointed in were just some of the big blockbuster ones I felt could have been, you know, worked on a little bit more or developed a bit more. Uh, most, mostly, mostly good stuff in terms of television. I would say it's probably a very good year for television-wise. Uh, I haven't seen most of the movies that I want to see. I still have to see Fablemans. I still have to see The Whale. There's obviously a few I'm getting. You know, Glass Onion came out today. Still want to see that. So, yeah. You know, it's been an okay year, in my opinion. All right. For me, I, I was actually very impressed with the stuff we got this year, entertainment-wise. The only thing, really, that was a major letdown for me was Marvel, which I thought generally kind of sucked. But I funny enough, say it, but there you go. Funny enough, all my other favorite franchises are sort of on the upswing. They've produced some of the best content I've seen in years in some of my favorite stuff. So I'm actually feeling hopeful about the future of my favorite things for the first time in what feels like a long time. I'd say there were more hits than misses. TV especially is king tonight, which is why our top 10 list is not really a top 10 movies or TV show or video games list. It's kind of just our top 10 favorite entertainment. And I tried to balance it between TV and movies, but I think the TV generally ranked higher for me this year. But that's enough. A very good year. That's enough preamble. Let's get into our close-up. So let's begin with our honorable mentions of the year. Ryan, you want to go first because you got less than I do. I have none. Go ahead. <laughs> you go no first. Okay. Because all the honorable men, because all the honorable mentions, I don't. I haven't just. I haven't seen them yet. It was very hard for me to choose. All right. So even my, like this top ten. So my honorable mentions for shows: The Witcher season two, Westworld season four, Moon Knight, Obi Wan Kenobi, The Gilded Age, Star Trek Lower Decks, and The Sandman. My honorable mentions for movies. The Woman King, Wakanda Forever, Fall, DC League of Super Pets, Avatar The Way of Water, The Northmen, Bullet Train, Elvis, The Lost City, Glass Onion, and Everything Everywhere All at Once. Those are my honorable Oh mentions. my god. And I saw I a lot more- The Witcher Season 2. Oh yeah, I guess it did. It came out like late December, but then most of it was in, uh, was in 2022. And I saw a lot well, more stuff actually, than that. That's just, I saw a lot more <laughs> stuff than that this year. This is just, that's just the stuff I liked, and we're not even in the top ten. Wow, so you... I have to change one of my answers <laughs> because <laughs> you reminded me of a movie I saw this year. Okay, so oh, do you want me to start man. my? But you yeah, want me to start my list then. Wakanda Forever. I would say Wakanda Forever is uh, was probably be an honorable mention for uh, for me as well. Uh, Shanti didn't come out this year. All the Marvel stuff is meh. 
But, um... I guess I just had Avatar 2 as number 10 because I couldn't think of one. But now it's an honorable mention. <laughs> well, all the Marvel stuff is met except for my favorite of the year. Mm. Oh, God. Really? <laughs> no. Just wanted to piss you off a little bit. <laughs> By holding up my me and her hammer for our audio listeners. Ryan loves Love and Thunder. It's probably his <laughs> number one this year. Stop. <laughs> So what were, you, what were you saying? Wakanda Forever, honorable mention? Yeah, honorable mention Wakanda Forever, honorable mention Multiverse of Madness, honorable mention Shield. <laughs> All the honorable mentions are Marvel except for Thor Love and Thunder. Nah, I'm kidding. Probably Wakanda Forever. I don't, again, I haven't watched a lot of stuff. Any video uh, like, games in I your haven't on- watched. Any video games in your honorable? Uh, there's some in my top 10, but there's none. <laughs> there's none in my honorable mentions. Because some of the long. video games I've played. Because some of the video games they played haven't come out this year. I mean, the only two I've played was everyone knows it's God of War, and then I guess Modern Warfare Two. But that one's okay. Like it's, I don't think it deserves an honorable mention. Like it's not. I think the campaign is very well done. Multiplayer's fun, but other than that, nothing great. I guess honorable mention. I've been watching the Batman animated series. Pretty damn good. Other than that, I don't got much. Yeah, which didn't come out this I year. I just got past. I just got past the the Gray Ghost episode. Very Love good episode. It's a great one. All right, so mm-hmm. you want me to start with number ten, or do you want to go with your number ten? You first? go ahead. You All go right, ahead. the man this, in the suit. This might be on your list later up anyway. So if it is, just stop me now and we'll move on. But uh, my number okay. ten is Stranger Things season four. It's on there, but it's a bit later. Okay, so we'll save more discussion. It's not too for, But I'll just go on my blurb why I like it, and I can piggyback yeah. off you if you say something later. So Stranger Things Season 4 freaking blew me away. I'm not as down on Season 3 as a lot of people were at the time, but it definitely was... I think was. you're thinking Season 2. <laughs> season 2 and people 3 were... Season de- 3. My point is Season people 2 and 3. Season three. I've heard a lot of crap for season three. A lot of people did not. Well, your like friends this. suck. <laughs> your friends suck. <laughs> a lot of people did not like the comedic tone that it took. They wanted it to go more back to how Stranger Things felt, but I always felt that more of the same was how we got Stranger Things season two. Anyway, season two and three are both kind of controversial among certain segments of the fan base. Season four was a return to form pretty well unanimously, I think. It's the best season since the first one, for sure. The thing I think about the most this season is the plot twists that happened. Just freaking blew me away. It was later, in the back half of the show especially, the build-up to payoff ratio for this season was astounding. The characters, I, some of them I was kind of mad on before. I came to like other ones a lot more this year, specifically uh, Max. Actually, Sadie Sink, I just saw her in The Whale the other day, and she's brilliant in that movie, too. So I think this is kind of her year between Stranger Things Season 4 and that movie, and I hope to see... Oh, it's a good year for her. Yeah, she's kind of a breakout star this year. Not she she wasn't Mm -hmm. nobody before, but this is like the year I finally realized, oh, wow, she's fantastic. And The um, next round of Emmys is going to be a tough one between Sadie Sink and a couple actors from another show. It's going to be so tough. we'll we'll uh, go on Stranger Things more when you come up. But uh, what's your number ten? Mm-hmm. It's soon. 
Well, you just reminded me that I saw this movie this year, and I don't know why I forgot about it, uh, but my number 10 is Elvis. Uh, going into it, I thought it was going to be trash, because not the biggest fan of the Baz Luhrmann style. I remember watching Great Gatsby and being like, hmm, this is very cool. But there's a lot of hip-hop songs and a movie that should be have songs in the 1920s. And But I liked uh, Leo in it. I liked Tobey Maguire in it. I liked all the actors in it. Uh, the I'm just talking about The Great Gatsby. Sorry. Uh, but Elvis, I thought Austin Butler did an amazing job. I thought they, I, I did think they kind of toned down a little bit of the stuff that Elvis went through, especially probably the partying and the, uh, you know, the sleeping with all the, all the women. They're just kind of put to the side. But it's kind of tough to do when you're doing a biopic about one person's life. They did breeze through it. Wrapped it, it up was, in. It was in there. It just yeah. wasn't prominent because a lot of it was in the back half of his life that, they had that montage yeah. of him kind of descending into madness and, you know, getting hooked on the, uh, on the pharmaceuticals and yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that, but after... also it, it didn't really, it didn't really feel like a biopic in a lot of ways. It just felt more like a very stylized version of this is what Elvis's life looked like in certain people's eyes. But in some ways I just thought, you know, and a lot of people shit it on Tom Hanks. I thought it was okay. I thought he, he did really a good, good job. And people are like, oh, his accent's weird. Yeah, because the guy in real life's accent isn't real. Like, it's it's supposed to be like, it's supposed to be fake-ish. But he did he did a pretty good job, and I think Austin Butler is definitely a front runner for the award season. Except Austin for Butler and Fraser for the whale. I haven't seen it yet, but yeah, yeah, uh, he carries the movie. And all but mentioned for me, I just remembered is "Don't Worry, Darling." I know it's not going to be on a lot of people's top ten, but I really like that movie because of Florence Pugh. And I really like the movie Elvis because of Austin Butler. Austin Butler probably gave the best performance of an actor portraying a real-life person that I've ever seen in Elvis. Now, the other ones, some of the other ones off the top of my head, you know, like Rami Malek was fantastic as Freddie Mercury in Bohemian Rhapsody. But Austin Butler as Elvis, this is maybe the first time I ever watched a biopic, and I just forgot i wasn't watching the person I didn't, mm -hmm. I didn't really think oh i'm watching a guy play elvis i just felt i was watching elvis which is one of the highest praises i can give on an actor who's playing a real person that i is you know and elvis isn't a person that people don't know how they were everyone knows has an image of elvis in their mind he's a very he's an american icon and mm -hmm. there were a lot of expectations going into this film. Like Elvis is a very hard character to play, especially, I think, because of that. Because everyone's got that image in their mind. And that's why people who play Elvis so easily teeter into parody. <laughs> because he's such a... Yeah, it doesn't feel like parody here. It feels like a natural performance. Yeah. So he's the real main draw of the Elvis movie, uh, if anything. But Baz Luhrmann's style is... Once again, it's not for everybody, and I, I agree with you. It's very, it's very big and glamorous, and it's the editing is really quick, and you have hip hop songs out of period, which is strange. Yeah. He's very, it's a very big style, which doesn't gel with everybody. A lot of montages in there too, but it worked for me. It, I think it's that kind of style is deserving of Elvis's life, who was known as a as a glitzy showman where the pantsuits and capes on stage made the, like, <laughs> one of the best showmen of all time. That's, he deserved a movie with that kind of style to it.
It's yeah, one of the best biopics I've seen. Biopic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, now we get to my number nine, which once again, if it's on my, if it's higher on your list, stop me now. We'll talk more later. But uh, the Batman. Wow. That low? Dang. Well, there are others yeah, that like mine's more. on here. Okay, so we'll talk more about it later. But the Batman is the Batman movie I've wanted to see my entire life. Now, I, I love me some Michael Keaton and Tim Burton version. I love me some Christopher Nolan and Christian Bale version. I even like Zack Snyder and Ben Affleck. I, I, I'm willing to go on an in-defensive episode for Batman Forever. I can't say I love the Schumacher movies, but I do like <laughs> Batman Forever. It's good. Batman and Robin's kind of just a so good it's bad movie, but I like, and I'm a huge fan of Adam West too. I love all the Batmans, and I find something great about all their adaptations. The best being Kevin Conroy, as we discussed a couple episodes ago. He is the definitive mm -hmm. Batman. But live action, this is the Batman movie I've always wanted to see because it finally does the world's greatest detective story. Ever since I was a little kid, I just wanted to see a Batman movie where he has a gritty detective story with the Riddler as the main villain going around Gotham solving puzzles and stuff. And that's exactly what this movie was. It's the Batman movie I've wanted to see since I was seven years old. And it was good. It was better than good. It was just a really good film noir story that happens to be about a guy dressing up like a bat. <laughs> Robert Pattinson is incredible in it. He plays this really... He plays Bruce Wayne as really mentally tortured and very awkward socially and I'd like to see how he develops the character later but he feels like how a guy like Bruce Wayne probably would feel this kind of brooding loner who with a lot of psychological issues Paul Dano's Riddler is fantastic in it as well the the puzzles are really cool the cinematography is gorgeous to look at the, the side characters are great as well. Colin Farrell's Penguin, Zoe Kravitz's Catwoman. The, the world of Gotham really feels alive in this one. Uh, Jeffrey Wright's Commissioner Gordon was great too. Andy Serkis' Alfred. Everybody in this movie was fantastic. It was just a cool crime movie to watch that happened to be about Batman. But it's my favorite live-action Batman movie. And I've liked a lot of them, <laughs> like I said. So that's no small feat there. So that's my number nine. What's your number nine? Yeah, I'll touch on more in it when like, we get it to my spot. Wow, I'm so curious to see what the rest of your list is like now. Uh, my mm -hmm. number nine, and I told you there's, this is an asterisk. So it's kind of like a hold on, give me a second. All right. <laughs> my, uh, my number nine is Kenobi. Now, hold on. <laughs> now, everybody, wait a second. There are parts of it that are really bad, all right? All the Reva stuff is not great. The very first chase scene with Leia and those bounty hunters sucks really bad. But to me, the Kenobi stuff, like the actual Obi-Wan Kenobi stuff with Ewan McGregor and Hayden Christensen, the flashbacks, the first time they meet face-to-face -face in Episode 3 in that series, I think it's really well done. I think their final fight in Episode 6 is really well done. It's so It's a lot of spectacle without it being super cartoony. There were moments where I cried watching this show, and I know it's not perfect, but again, the reason why there's an asterisk here is because I haven't watched a lot of other stuff. 
Trust me, I bet you if I watched The Whale recently, it would bump Kenobi out of here. Or just anything else. Kenobi makes my top ten list of just TV shows. Which maybe I'll go over at the end if there's time. I'll separate the movies and TV sh- I mean, it's the same honorable mentions I already mentioned. But anyway, Kenobi is in my honorable mentions. And it's, I think, number 10 on my TV shows I've seen this year. I'm a huge fan of Ewan McGregor. I grew up on the prequels. I defend them very aggressively with people who dislike them. And... We'll talk about them more on this show, but Ewan McGregor is one of my favorite actors. He's he's a great actor, and his portrayal of so Obi-Wan good. Kenobi is iconic, and my favorite Star Wars character of all time is Obi-Wan Kenobi, specifically his version of Obi-Wan. I just, I love Obi-Wan's story and his relationship with Vader. It's very powerful stuff. One of my favorite things about Kenobi is that he's not just the chosen one Jedi who's the most powerful. He's very, he's just an above average Jedi. He's not special. He's just really good at what he does. He, he's not the most naturally gifted with the force. He's got to make up for it in other ways, like being really good at uh, defensive style in lightsaber combat, or as a diplomat, or as just a wise person, or a political manipulator. He's got to have all these different skills. And the Kenobi show, while disappointing to me in many ways, there was a great story in there. And I think I'd like to see maybe a, a, two, a two to three hour cut of this show that cut out all the fluff and filler. I think it's a great <laughs> story in there. There's, there's a lot about it that disappointed me. But like you were saying, the parts with Vader, the parts with little Leia, the parts that hit, hit hard. It's... Yeah. Yeah. That's why I think it's, uh, it's phenomenal when it goes to the important stuff. It does the important stuff right. And I think there was just a problem with them trying to add a new character because they wanted to expand the runtime, and it just didn't work because I don't think they gave a lot of time and effort into Reva and her story arc. But man, especially that third episode with Vader, he is so fucking scary again. And I love that, that they make Vader scary. Yes. And in episode six, when it's half the helmet of, and then you see Hayden under the helmet, it's a mixture audio of Hayden and uh, James Earl Jones, it's phenomenal. And the, the child actress for Leia, she's not annoying. She's actually brilliant. She's a brilliant actress. She's, she's very funny. She's capable of going up against, you know, adult actors and sometimes even outacting them. So that's why I have to give this, it, it has to be on my list somewhat because it hit me emotionally. And there is an asterisk, right? Don't come for me in the comments. We already said up top, this is not a best of list. This is our favorites. Our favorites are allowed to be of average or below quality. That's fine. Joe's number one is She-Hulk. Anyway. You'd be surprised. What's your number eight? No, you wouldn't. <laughs> My number eight is Cobra Kai. I would five. leave. Fuck. I was going to put it on this list, but I thought, ah, I didn't. Cobra Let's talk Kai. about it, though. Cobra Kai. Cobra Kai. Cobra Kai. Cobra Kai. Cobra Kai is one of the best TV shows of the last few years, really. Uh, they really it started on the now defunct YouTube Red platform, which I think is a great origin story. It's a real underdog kind of thing. This The sequel, 30 Years Late, starring Johnny Lawrence, this 80s movie bully who was only around in one popular movie, and now we're having a t whole TV show about him on a YouTube platform. 
And, oh, Ralph Macchio's coming back. That's cool. There's no way this show should have been as good as it is. It is, it's a great family drama about legacy and honor and learning to be your best self and the, the, the good and the evils of karate and just like using karate and sportsmanship and community to build yourself up and push yourself to be better than you ever thought you could be. It, the, everyone has relatable struggles on this show, even the, you know, the teen angst and stuff some people might criticize, but I, I still even really like those characters. It's one of the few shows that the legacy characters are really compelling to watch too. And I'm just as happy being with, you know, Sam, Miguel, Robbie, Hawk, Mm -hmm. Tori, as I am with Johnny and Daniel and Kreese. Mm -hmm. And, or even other characters like they brought in this year, like Mike Barnes and um, Chosen, which you got to love season five. They bring in all the lore of this show and somehow make it better than it was. Mike Barnes and Chosen are written better here than they were in the 80s. They somehow took these one-off, like Cobra Kai is the show about taking these one-note 80s villains and turning them into the three-dimensional human beings that you actually want to root for show their redemption arcs, people change, people can uh, grow and improve. Or you get guys like Terry Silver and John Kreese who just get worse with time. Terry Silver is the best villain this show ever had. I mean, John Kreese is still amazing, but Terry Silver, there's just another level of threat above him because he's even more sociopathic. He's even more influential and powerful and rich. And he really puts the screws to the good guys in this one, makes Cobra Kai feel more threatening than ever. The stakes just keep getting higher in this show. It's life and death, and it should be cartoonish at this point. And it kind of is. It feels like a Saturday morning cartoon, but it's, it's just so good. It, it, it's drama, it's comedy, it's, it's heart, it's you know real emotional investment. It'll make you laugh, it'll make you tear up. Like Cobra Kai is everything. And... Like they even have globe trotting adventure, like when he go when they go to Mexico for a little while, mm-hmm. and all that. Just like it's everything I could want in a show. So yeah, it's really good. I agree with you. Uh, I wish I had it on my list and somehow just didn't put it on there. It's just one of those shows where it's just a great legacy show, and it doesn't treat its characters like they're idiots. There's a lot of moments in, especially in season five, where there's just really good character development. I talked about this in the podcast when we did a full podcast on it, but yeah. uh, when Sam and Miguel are taking a break and Miguel's like, oh yeah, like that hurt me to do, but it was something you had to do and I'm glad you were able to do it. It's just such good character growth and it doesn't treat how you know other franchises would just make it kind of one note. There's some complex storytelling in here and yeah, a lot of it's cheesy, but it works in this world and it's the kind yeah. of cheese that you accept and it's, it's just a lot cheese. of fun to watch. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's 80s cheese. It's very much if you like 80s things, you you got to like Cobra Kai. Mhm. Yeah. Cobra Kai. Cobra Kai. Never good dies. Choice, good choice. All right, what's your number 8? All right, well my number 8 is Stranger Things Volume 4. All right, I thought back on that. uh Mhm. I rewatched the show leading up to season 4, so I was very prepared for it. And then uh Breeze through part one. And I was like, holy crap, this is a crazy cliffhanger, you know, with the whole Vecna stuff. 
I'll try not to spoil it, but you, everybody in the world's probably seen it. But yeah, just the cultural impact on Stranger Things, especially Volume 4, that had this year. I mean, we went to Fan Expo. How many people dressed up as Eddie? How many people dressed up as Chrissy and so many. all the other... Eddie's so line many. was a... They had, the, uh, Joseph Quinn's line was yeah. at the... Like, he was down a whole floor. <laughs> the lineup was Yeah, he nuts. was the only one where you physically couldn't see him because he was behind a curtain. That's how popular he was. And... Yeah, it was just the culture impact of the show. How can it not be on anybody's list? But also, it's shot well, it's uh, written well, uh, all the characters' stories are, uh, you know, pretty interesting, except for a few where it gets, you know, mildly a bit boring, but not everything can be great. There's I a lot thought of people Millie to Bobby Brown. Yeah, Millie Bobby, uh, Bobby Brown did a very good job. I thought uh, the stuff was Hopper was really good. The Vecna storytelling was really well done. Sadie Sink's performance is out of this world. She should definitely get an Emmy nod next year. If not, win it. I don't, you know, that's my personal vote right now, but also there's shows that are going to come out later in the, in the, in the year. But, um, and I, yeah, the just, I think it's probably the best. Whenever Netflix is losing its ratings, Stranger Things comes along and boosts those ratings right back up. So I'm excited for Volume 5, especially after the, the cliffhanger that it had at the end of Volume uh, 4, Part 2. Uh, and I think it's going to be an epic finale. Awesome. So my number seven is The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talon. This movie kind of came out of nowhere Ooh. for me. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's not a movie most people... I don't think a lot of people saw this one this year. But basically what it is, if you haven't seen it, just because a lot of people haven't, Nicolas Cage plays a version of himself as a washed-up actor who isn't really getting a lot of good work lately. And then he finds out that this guy played by uh, Pedro Pascal is uh, he's this rich dude who lives on an island who's the biggest Nick Cage fan in the world. And he wants Nick Cage to come to his birthday party, and he agrees to pay Nick Cage a million dollars for it. And Nick Cage is like, eh, this sounds a little weird, but I'll do it. So then when he gets there onto the island and infiltrates this birthday party, the CIA kidnaps Nick Cage, and then they tell him this guy, Javi, played by Pedro Pascal, is actually a reputed uh, a cart member of the cartel, and they haven't been able to, the CIA hasn't been able to infiltrate the island. So they're like, hey, Nick Cage, while you're here for this party, could you do some intelligence work for us? And he's like, fine, I guess I'll do that. But then he develops a bromance with Javi, over their mutual love of Nick Cage. <laughs> and so the entire movie, he's like, oh, I don't really want to sell this guy out. He's like my best friend now. And it's just kind of Pedro Pascal and Nick Cage having a bromance on an island together for a couple hours. Mm. And then it gets, you know, and the CIAs do it. It's amazing. It's just, it's a celebration of Nick Cage's career. If you've seen, if you're a fan of Nick Cage, you need to watch this movie. He plays a very, like I said, it's a version of himself, but it's like what you think of when you think of Nick Cage. And <laughs> he's so over the top with it. There, he even has this figment of his imagination called Little Nicky, which is basically Nick Cage from the <laughs> '80s who talks to him and and tells him how far he's fallen, <laughs> and tries to make wow. him like the Nick Cage he used to be. And uh, there's like a, a shrine where with full of Nick Cage memorabilia that he walks into at a point. 
and they have mutual discussions over their love of Paddington 2 and whatnot, which is a fantastic movie. (laughs) So, yeah, it's just... It's just a really fun sh- film about friendship and a oh, celebration. I've seen that clip online, the Paddington Two clip. Yeah, I so it's a great talking about. It's a great film about friendship and a celebration of Nick Cage, and I I really recommend. It. It's just a really fun movie, and it's it's pretty heartwarming too. I just I just really like the vibes on this one. I don't know. It's one of the. F- I haven't had many movies this year where I came out feeling so good after. Just like, hey, you know, that was a fun time. How many movies like that do we get where it's good and just a fun time? There are a couple more on my list, but that was... I have one on my list. <laughs> All right, number number seven for you. Number seven for me uh, might be cheating a little bit because it's a documentary, Light and Magic. Mm. I really love this doc. We did a whole episode on it. Shows the whole history of industrial light and magic uh, from Star Wars all the way up to where they are now. And how they just developed from this small team, and they were really just a bunch of, you know, they were basically kids just trying to make a movie with George Lucas, and how he basically pioneered most of the visual effects stuff that we see now, pioneered so much stuff, pioneered digital editing, you know, green screen, you know, just so many, so much stuff that you just see. It's a great, I bet you if we were in school right now, back in film school, they would be showing this documentary or these episodes. Because or they make shows... us watch it for homework or something. Yeah. Or it just shows the uh, fantastic history of the company itself, but also just how we all went from film to digital. Uh, it even touches on you know stop motion and uh, physical props and, um, oh, what am I thinking of? Oh, what's the right word? Uh, CGI, like you know, like the like CGI minifig, uh, the miniatures, Model, like models, those, those stuff. Like, yeah. Model work, model work, yeah. And just how they're created there, and all the people behind it as well. I just think it's a very, it's a great documentary, and it's uh, very inspirational. Taught me a lot. I never knew about the industry, and I always got really jealous of the guys in there when they showed off their childhood films. And it was way better than my childhood films, even though I had computers and <laughs> and effects work and I could mess around with things. I'm like, how the hell did they do this in the 60s on film? These guys are geniuses. No wonder they got into special effects and they became really successful. Right? I, I just love and Some of the student it, films that you see, too, it's like yeah. some, people, some people can't even do that today. Like, how are they able to do that with film? It's just wild. Yeah. I love how they're just a ragtag bunch of people from who kind of got together in the 70s, and nobody really expected this Star Wars thing to take off. They're just people, young guys who were talented in their craft, and that's mm-hmm. how ILM got started. And uh, it's, it's a very inspirational doc, because it makes me think, oh, well, you know, if these young up-and-comers could just get together and do that, maybe there's hope for guys like us. Not to say we're going to start the next ILM. We aren't special effects guys, but just nope. you know, talented people do, do get recognized eventually if they're innovative enough, and they love their work and they have the passion for what they do, and they they just keep at it through all the hardships, and they don't ever settle for good enough. They always think, hey, you know, well we did it this way before and that worked, but how can we keep making it better? 
when they did the stop motion effects, they're like, oh yeah, how can we do that better? When they were doing the matte paintings, they're like, oh yeah, how, how can we do that even better? When we did the, the one I remember specifically was when they were trying to get the matte lines off of the models and they created that entire mm-hmm. machine for Empire Strikes Back to make it seamless. They were always advancing, even to their own detriment, like when CGI replaced the model and stop motion departments at ILM and they just went mostly digital. But the name of the game was always Progress and it was just a very inspiring documentary. So that's that's a good pick. My number six, which don't hate me for having this so low, but it's also on my top ten. You heard all my other honorable mentions, but number six, House of the Dragon. Okay, that's on my top ten as well. It's a great show, and it would have been higher, but, you know, at the end of the day, I'm not as invested in this Game of Thrones world, and, mm-hmm. uh, like, it's, it's definitely one of the best written shows I've seen this year, for sure, and I'll get into that more in a sec. But the reason it's at number six and not higher, because I know I'm probably going to catch some flack for that, it's just because it's it's not a world I'm as invested in, and there are other worlds on here that I like more. They're not necessarily better written shows, although they are really well done. But it's just, yeah, I just I just like other worlds better. But this is like the fact that House of the Dragon even made it to number six for me is is impressive. As somebody who's never watched Game of Thrones, this is I this show was my first foray into Westeros, and I was thoroughly impressed by it. I am very um, invested in the Targaryen family now. I I liked all the characters and hated them all in equal measure. I catch a lot of shit for being Team Green, and I had a whole episode of Close Up where I tried to defend Team Green as best as I could, but the fact that I can sympathize with the very much majority disliked people even says that they their writing was good enough that there was something good enough even in the worst characters that people like me can root for them and i and hate in equal measure it, it just the writing for everyone is so multifaceted and complex and it's a it's a story spanning decades and so much political scheming and complexities it's just fascinating to watch but I think part of the reason it's not a little higher is because it was very self-serious and kind of grimdark in many ways, and it just it didn't leave me feeling very joyful watching it as much as it's a great show. I just I didn't have a lot of fun with it. Like it, this is more of the critic in me than the fan of entertainment, although it was very entertaining and engaging for your brain. It's um it's nice to have smartly written things sometimes. There's so much like mm-hmm. writing out there where people don't know how to write people. It feels like a fantasy version of how people would behave. This just feels very down earth and realistic, sometimes in a nihilistic sort of way. But sometimes it's just nice to get a, a, a guy's head cut off for running his mouth. <laughs> you know the scene. Yeah. Very good show. I'll touch on it a little bit more when I, we yeah. get to my spot. But yeah, definitely one of my favorite shows of the year, especially with the acting and the writing and especially with some of the dog shit things I've seen in the past couple of years. It's just so nice to have good, strong characters with good, strong dialogue. Very much so. So your number six. My number six, uh, one of the good things coming out of Marvel is Moon Knight. 
Really love Moon Knight. I thought Oscar Isaac hit it out of the park. The duality rules, that's always so tricky to do. And the fact that he was able to do it with well, which, with what looked like such ease uh, in playing two different characters, both Steve and Mark, I thought the production design was really well done. It It just immersed me so much into... Not the world of Moon Knight, but just the character of Moon Knight itself. It was one of my most anticipated shows of the year because, not because of uh, how I view Moon Knight. Like I didn't know much about the character beforehand, but I liked the aesthetic of him. And the first episode got me hooked right away. That fifth episode is probably some of the best Marvels ever produced. Going into, you know, Mark's backstory and how dark they went with it, and. I just, uh, you know, some of the action isn't fantastic, but a lot of it is still pretty good. My favorite action scene was episode sixes. Which part? The one they didn't show. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. The bet, use your imagination, everyone. But yeah, I just think Oscar Isaac, I hope he comes back in, I don't know if I want a season two necessarily, but I just hope he comes back in some form. One of the most impressive things to Moon Knight about Moon Knight to me was that scene in episode, I don't remember if it was the end of episode four or the start of episode five, but the scene where Stephen and Mark are overlapping with each other. They're not just in the same yeah. scene. He's acting with himself, but they're overlapping with, the, I don't know how they did that. That freaking blew me away. Moon Knight, I really liked at the time because I, I said on the show before, but I always love when TV and movies can transport me to other cultures and histories that I'm not as familiar with. Even if they're not super accurate, they give me a head start into uh, going down the rabbit hole. So that's what Moon Knight did for me with Egyptian mythology, learning about these characters and a bit of Egypt's history and uh, a, a little bit about the relic hunting side of Mark Spector and and uh, the archaeology. Uh, I like learning about, well, seeing Khonshu. The, he was a fantastic presence throughout the show. That uh, His design, I think, is immediately iconic. Just the, the, the bird beak. It's very scary <laughs> and off-putting, but he's, he's, he's kind of an anti-hero. And uh, the, the duality between Steven and Mark, Oscar Isaac, kind of carried the show. I also really like the other characters, like Layla. She was Lyle, great yeah, too. Layla's great. Uh, Ethan Hawke as uh, Arthur is one of Marvel's best villains. Because you kind of good see year his... for Ethan Hawke. You... Good year. What for else Ethan has Hawk? he been in? Because he also did what was the Black Phone? Is that what it was? His horror movie. That. I didn't watch that one, but I heard it was good. I heard that one was very good. Yeah. But uh, yeah, he's. I think he's one of Marvel's best villains because you do see his point of view as well. The, you know, pe judge people who are really bad and if they're going to do bad maybe you should just kill them off before they have a chance to do bad but that's also the thing is you know do you kill them <laughs> off before they have a chance to do bad or do you want to wait for people to make mistakes or maybe grow from them so you do see his point of view it's extreme yes <laughs> <laughs> well yes obviously yes to both. but yeah but yes you, you do see both points of view which i think is very interesting and he's very I might follow this guy if I was in a dark place, and he's he's a very enticing cult leader kind of guy. So Ethan Hawke played him very well. 
But uh, yeah, the standout of the show is Oscar Isaac, for sure. And uh, I did like the story in Moon Knight. I also like that more stories are trying to tackle discussions about mental health, which it's, once again, maybe, I don't know how accurately it handles multiple personalities, but it's a gateway for more research into the subject and just for yourself. And uh, yeah, they, I think they did it well enough for me. I thought it was handled well. Um, so my number five is Peacemaker. Which I know oh, you yes. haven't seen. No. But... There's no point in seeing it anymore because Warner Brothers. They took it off, HBO? Well, I don't know if that one's safe. No, I just don't know. I just don't know if it's going to be around with the They're James Gunn thing. But anyway. James Gu- this is yeah, because it's show. the only thing he fucking made. Whatever. Yeah. Who cares? I already, I'm already mad. <laughs> this is your time. Sorry. <laughs> now, Peace, Peacemaker is a show that I really had no expectations for. I liked the character in Suicide Squad, in the Suicide Squad, which is one of my favorite movies of the last couple of years. To be like, it's a fantastic action movie. I love that one. But as much as I enjoyed Peacemaker, I didn't know if John Cena and James Gunn could carry an entire show with just this character. But I really shouldn't have underestimated James Gunn because the guy's made a career of taking. D-list comic book characters and turning them into household names. Peacemaker was a very unexpected success for me because it actually made me care about this D-lister who kind of wears this goofy-looking helmet. And it's a great story about the going under the layers of this macho villain. On the outside, he's this really alpha male kind of guy who kills a lot of people and has to act tough all the time but on his own he's very sensitive and really cares what people think about him and he gets insulted very easily and sometimes when he goes home when nobody's watching he's crying his eyes out because he's just really at the end of the day just really wants to be liked and thought of as a hero but everybody sees him as this asshole because that's how he shows up to the world the supporting cast are all great, too. They're all kind of offbeat characters, characters you wouldn't necessarily see in a mainstream sort of capacity. I feel like they don't really conform to... Well, actually, I'm not going to go there, because they kind of do. I won't even get into my point there. But I just really like the characters and how they interact in the world. Vigilante, especially, is freaking hilarious. <laughs> the guy who played him is just knocked every line out of the park it's a it's a way funnier show than expected it's it's the way that james gunn does it he manages to make let the actors improvise and kind of riff off each other and every scene can make you laugh and then it might make you cry at the end of it when the emotional moment hits because james gunn writes characters like people are he doesn't just do it i'm gonna pick on marvel but every other marvel thing basically does nowadays where they undercut actual emotional moments just for the jokes. But the way James Gunn writes jokes, it nearly seems like it's going to go that way. But the way people actually are is they use jokes when they're trying to cover up their actual emotions. So when a James Gunn project, you can see that's what they're doing. They have real trauma that they're trying to suppress with humor, but the actors show that that's coming out, and it does eventually come out is the thing and it's just kind of they're just trying to delay the inevitable emotional cathartic outbursts with comedy so it comes from a real genuine place 
And it's not just shoehorned in there. It does feel genuine in the moment, too, and flows really nicely. And, yeah, I think it's just, it's a great, unique superhero story about this anti-hero. It's, it, it covers really weird aspects of the lore you would never see in anything more mainstream, but it somehow makes them palatable for a mainstream audience. It's, James Gunn makes some of the best superhero content I've ever seen. Like, I, I know he's made some controversial decisions with DC already, but I'm here for whatever else he's got because he hasn't steered me wrong this thus far. Although I am a little bitter about Cavill, but I, I yeah. guess. Yeah. I don't and positive. I, bring up in this, I don't even know if I want to bring up that part in this podcast, but just the And positive. I trust in James Gunn. I trust in James Gunn, but I also fucking hate James Gunn for what he just did. But I also don't believe it's his fully his fault as well. So the whole thing with Warner Brothers has fucked up since the beginning. And by the beginning, I don't mean like Green Lantern. I mean with the start of Man of Steel. So they create Man of Steel because they're like, oh, we'll try to do what Marvel does a little bit. And then Avengers comes out and makes a billion dollars in 2012. So halfway through production, Man of Steel, they're like, oh, we should just make our, the next Avengers film because we can't be too much like Marvel and look how much money they fucking made. So in the Superman sequel, they introduce Wonder Woman, they introduce Batman, they tease Aquaman, they tease the Flash, and then they bring out, you know, Doomsday or, or whatever, and which is like, no, that's and they make they make a weird Lex Luthor, and it's just, there's personal th- problems they have with Batman v Superman, but then they mess that up and they kill him off in his second movie, and then they finally do the Marvel thing, where they put in Wonder Woman. And, well, actually, they don't even do the Marvel thing. They just do Wonder Woman, and then they do Justice League, which had its own problems with Zack Snyder, with him leaving and all that stuff. And then Aquaman gets his own movie. Flash still hasn't had his movie because of delays and, of course, of Ezra Miller. And then, of course, Black Adam happens, where, you know, he's uh, tried to, he's politically moved the things behind the scenes to bring back Henry Cavill, because Henry Cavill is very beloved by the fans in DC and feel like he needs he needs to be treated right and with a good superman story and he hasn't had that yet well you know man of steel is pretty good i think it's pretty good but like a classic superman story where it's a positive superman and you know what henry cavill agrees he does a cameo he says hey i'm back you know he leaves the witcher for that which i assume but also probably because he had problems with the witcher production uh, how they were depicting the witcher world and then james gunn comes in and goes well actually we that wasn't really our plan. Um, I'm sorry, but I know the studio might have said, yeah, we can have you back, but that was never our intention. And then Henry Cavill is just kind of left in the dust. So it's just my main problem with what this the DCEU have done and what Warner Bros. have done is that there's never been a clear path since the beginning. And there should have been in order to be successful. Because you can tell, especially with Justice League 2017, it is such a hot mess. It is just, it does not look like the $200 million movie that it should have been. And it's just, they only didn't want, they only rushed this stuff because they didn't want to look like Marvel. But screw it. Take the Marvel plan because it worked and the formula was right there. But they're like, no, we can't be like them because Marvel did it. Even though you still eat still stuff from each other all the time. So well, I am hopeful for the future and what James Gunn is doing, because he is a well-crafted storyteller. But part of me is like, why did you have to do that to Henry? 
He's well, one of the most respectful actors in the business right now. Now's and, the time for well, at least he's doing. At least he's doing Warhammer, which is probably his favorite thing in the world. Yeah, I I don't have much to add to that except to say that um, I I think DC's got potential to uh, be better than Marvel at this point. Finally, take the lead because Marvel's been on a downswing for a while now. And if DC gets their ships in order, they might have a a good chance of success going forward. But it is also a mistake to start the whole universe with this gritty alternate version of Superman and Man of Steel that didn't ever really feel like Superman. I don't really feel like they were they wanted to build a whole franchise off that. They were just decided to make Man of Steel the jumping off point. That was a bad idea to start. They should have done something else for the like they yep, should have just let that be a, a they should have just let that be a standalone Superman movie in its own world and then done a more traditional one for their universe. But you know what? That's not we're talking that's not what we're here to talk about. Let's talk about uh your number anyway. five. My number five is Andor. This one was a surprise for me. Did not wanna go did not want to watch the show when it first came out. Didn't really care about Andor the character itself. I had to push him for We talked weeks. about this we, we talked about this weeks ago when we did a review, but I really rushed through I didn't sorry, didn't rush through it, but I watched it all at once. And it's to me, it's not as like as in terms of spectacle, not the greatest show of all time, but in terms of how well it's written, the story behind it, and how well each character is written in the show, and you know the small political moves. It's just a smart show, and it's shot well, it's written well, it keeps you on your toes a lot. There's like five story arcs in this one season. It's really well done. Favorite arc, obviously, is the prison arc. Andy Circus is. So fucking good. I will never stop praising that man as long as I live. Casting Andor, even then, he's got some really cool moments. I love how brutal he is in some moments. And it's not in terms it's not a dark show, but it's one of those shows that makes Star Wars feel realistic. You know, here's all these low-level characters. Here's what they will, you know, do in order to survive in this world. And it's just what do you do when you give people who are passionate about the universe a chance to make a show? They do it really well, most of the time. So, that's why it's on here. It's a surprise. Uh, just my top four, I just really love. Yeah, I'll have more to say about Andor a little later. Uh, so, my number four is The Fablemans. So, Steven Spielberg is my favorite director of all time. His movies, more than any other, have been made me into the creative person and arguably just the person I am today. The way he makes stuff is inspiring to me like no other filmmaker. And The Fablemans is his semi-autobiographical biopic that he made uh, recently. It's about this guy named Sammy Fableman who is a um a, an up and coming filmmaker in the 1950s and 60s and he's just trying to get his passion out for people to be entertained but he faces all these obstacles along the way like his mostly his family life he has a lot of people who help support him like his mother is one of his biggest supporters but his mother also gives him a lot of troubles too because she clearly suffers from a lot of mental health issues that sort of derail the family 
in many in many ways. And his father is a little bit more stable, but his dad's also and his dad likes his movies, but his dad is he doesn't really see it as a viable career. It's like, oh, you know, this is a, this is a good hobby you have, son. You're good at it, but you know, why don't you get a practical job, go to college, kind of thing? Well, you know, this this hobby's a nice thing in the meantime. Oh, that, so that spot right there. <laughs> oh yeah, that, that's why this movie made me cry. It's one of the few movies that I walked out, you know, not like heavy crying, but I just there were tears streaming down my eyes, and it, it was just. It hit a little too close to home for me. Also, how the the mother in it was a very talented person in in her youth, and she could have gone very far in music and the arts as well, but she gave all that up for to raise her family, and that also reminds me a lot of my own mother, who was very talented, and she probably could have gone far, but she sort of stopped doing what she loved just to, you know, be a mother instead, which. She never found the room for her own hobbies until uh, recently. So that just makes me sad to see how his mother was and how his dad was. My dad's also very similar in that way. Like, like, oh, yeah, you know, I enjoy your movies and you have a, it's a cool hobby and you're good at it, but he doesn't really, like, get it on an, um, <laughs> on an emotional level, like, that, it, like, that I'm really passionate about it. Because he, he, like, the father in the movies, super practical minded and doesn't really see the arts as anything more than a hobby and he you know he does he is a hobbyist as well in the arts he plays piano he, he's very into music but he does, he would never do it as a job just like he I don't know if he ever really sees filmmaking as a job in my future but just the way and the kids the siblings uh, of Sammy in the movie too also really hit close to home to me because his sisters when he was young in the movie they he makes them uh, go in his home movies and stuff and act in them. And like, I made my brother do that all the time. So, so just, just the family dynamic and the way they treat him and his passion, it just, it felt way too close to home to me. Seeing how he would get his friends and everybody involved just felt like seeing the last 10 years of my life and my filmmaking journey. And I went through very similar ups and downs myself at that same age as in the movie. It just, it hit way too close to home to me. And had a very emotional response. It's just a really good story, too, a uh, coming-of-age drama about this guy discovering his passion and going through obstacles to become a success. And it also helps that, once again, Steven Spielberg is my favorite director. So just to see his semi-autobiographical story play out and have it hit so close to home to me, it, just, it was the right... Just everything kind of came together when I saw it to make a really memorable experience. That's my number yeah, it's four. definitely on my list to uh my list to watch. I just haven't been able to go out to do it yet. Yeah, but yeah, my my number four, no surprise to anyone, God of War Ragnarok. I was obsessed with this game all the way to the lead up. Obsessed with it while I was playing it. Still obsessed with it afterwards. It's such a well made game. So close to ga- being game of the year, but that's okay. You know, it's fine. It's the st- the story elements, the way it's shot. It's almost shot like it's a movie. It, it, the the actors, you know, Christopher Judge, Sonny Salchik, Ryan Hurst. I could keep going. Uh, Deborah Ann Wall. Uh, you know, it's just so it's so fucking good. We did a whole episode on this, and just the combat itself, 
where I th really hate when I see people criticize video games and like, oh, they're a waste of time. It's like, well, some aren't, you know, some are just actual works of art and you just feel so immersed into this world, especially with God of War, which is a well-established franchise over the past decade. And it's just, it's just so good. You know, the character growth of Kratos and Atreus and even the world of the Norse mythology, how it's building off of the 2018 game. I just thought, and it, it didn't disappoint me at all. And again, I cried at the end of this. So sad that it was over. Uh, they did just announce recently they're doing a new game plus that will release in spring of 2023. So can't wait to do that. And yeah. I just, I love this franchise. I love the characters in it. Love the game. All right. Looking forward to playing it whenever I get around to that. My number three you have is... No time. You still haven't even watched Game of Thrones. Do you hear all the things I had just in my honorable mentions? <laughs> that wasn't even all the things I saw this year. Watch Game of Thrones. <laughs> Eventually. <laughs> I have, I watch a lot of things. I'm going to sit you down episode by episode. I, I watch a lot of things, just nothing anyone wants me to watch. I got in an argument with the guys yeah. at work the other day because I still haven't seen Die Hard. And I promised them I'd see it on Christmas this year because they pushed me for it so much. You haven't seen Die Hard? I literally... It's a great you know many, Christmas movie. Ryan, you know how many times I've gotten that my whole life? At this point, I haven't watched Christmas it. Movie. At this point, I haven't watched it because it's comical to me how many people hate how I haven't seen Die Hard. That's me with Titanic. Yeah. Yeah. So, oh, I don't remember what sorry. my point Number three? There. Yeah, the point is I'll get to God of War, I'll get to Game of Thrones, I'll get to everything people want me to see, but I watch a lot more stuff people don't watch. I don't bug people Like about. the Nick Cage movie. <laughs> like the Nick Cage movie. <laughs> or uh, number three, a movie nobody saw this year, Top Gun Maverick. Oh, man. Damn. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> I'm interested to see what your next two are then. Top Gun Mavericks, best movie I've seen this year. It's my number one on my movie list. Very few movies, like I said, you, you come out in 2022 just feeling like you got the complete package. You got great practical action. Uh, classic leading man in Tom Cruise. Super charismatic. Great actor, he can do it all. You get a great legacy cast as well with Miles Teller as Rooster. A really emotional story with the, you know, Rooster coming to terms with Maverick as a, as a mentor figure. You got a great plot line too with them trying to get these fighter jets together for, for one last mission when nobody really respects fighter jet pilots anymore and they want to shut down the programs and their days are numbered, but Maverick's on his last legs in the military and he's trying to he's trying to prove that fighter pilots still have worth actual people still have worth not just machines or people who will blindly follow orders sometimes you have to be a free thinker even though that's not really what the military is about but guys like Maverick get the job done whether superiors love it or not I love how it's a legacy sequel that still let the characters feel like the characters Maverick you know, they they didn't do a Luke Skywalker in The Last Jedi to him. He still feels distinctly like Maverick, just Maverick 30 years on. 
And this is an example that I'm fine with that he didn't do okay. He never really advanced in his career. He never had a family or anything. But that feels like a natural progression for Maverick. He didn't end up that great. But I also felt like it made sense. He still feels like the same guy. Just a little older, more mature. A lot of legacy sequels missed the mark there in a huge way. I just name dropped. I think the worst defender for it. But yeah, Top Gun Maverick is a rare legacy sequel that gets it right. And I don't know if I need to see more Top Gun. Oh yeah, the action, the action, the cinematography, it's fantastic too. Just the 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 jet scenes are some of the most exhilarating I've ever had in a theater. Especially that sequence where where Maverick completes the training course solo. Just Tom Cruise in a fighter jet going through the mountains. I have no words. It's amazing. In the end, very calls to mind classic cinema scenes like the the trench run in Star Wars. I had a lot of vibes like that from from Top Gun Maverick. Just in in the last scene where they have to hit the little target, going in the impossible canyon area. Mm-hmm. Just and I didn't know what they were do either. I didn't know if they character it, there were the stakes were huge some characters could have been killed off i didn't know like i really was on the edge of my seat the whole time top gun maverick was a movie experience unlike any other i had in 2022 it's like the peak of what filmmaking craft can do with just a simple story old characters that you come to love that are treated with respect just good action solid character development basic character arcs it's so it makes it all look effortless. And there's not a whole lot to it, but it does everything so well. It's just incredible. Yeah, I'll talk more about it uh, when we get to my spot. Sorry, I was only laughing so hard because in the same podcast, you've dogged on Marvel and now The Last Jedi. And now I'm waiting for the third one to come mm. up. I don't know what the third one is, but he's about to hit the trifecta, folks. And I don't think we've done that yet. We already talked oh about DC. Goodness. We talked about DC a lot today. That's the trifecta. That's true. All right. He's done it, people. Anyway, but yeah, <laughs> Top Gun Maverick, one of my favorites of the year. Not the biggest fan of the original. Saw it the night before. I saw Top Gun Maverick. But yeah, I'll talk about more later on. But yeah. my third is House of the Dragon. Love this fucking show so much. Was not into it uh, leading up to it. And then the first two episodes dropped. I heard good things about it. And after the second episode, I was like, man, Game of Thrones is back. I am a super Game of Thrones fan. I, you guys know, I tell Joe to watch it every day. It's just the dialogue in this show is so fucking good. The costumes, the acting, the visual effects for a television show looks much better than some of the stuff that came out this year. You know, the composition between real-life people on dragons and the dragons fighting each other or not fighting each other is so good. Patty Constantine, King Viserys, is such a great character. Some of the best I've seen. Matt one of the Smith, best of the charismatic year sure. as always. Yeah, Matt Smith, one of the best charismatic actors out there. The two, the different age actors who played the young princess and the queen, and then the older queen and uh, older princess. So good. The chemistry between the actors are really well. This is definitely a prologue uh, season to the Dance of the Dragons, and they do it so well. It gets you so invested, and it sucks we have to wait so long for the next season, but just gets you more and more hyped. 
There's not a lot of action, just kind of like the first few seasons of Game of Thrones, but it's just, it's it's literally holding it's holding its best stuff for later. And I think it's it's really made me it's inspired me to believe in television again and that it can have really smart writing and really smart characters. There's a lot of characters in here I there's very few characters that I hate to hate. A lot of characters that are villains, I uh, love to hate because they're so well written. There's only a few characters on screen that I see. I'm like, I just, I hate you so much. But Critical. there's other, but most of the characters, yeah, he's terrible. But there, <laughs> most of the other characters are are really, really good. It's a really, really well written show, and I think more people should watch it. I forgot to praise Patty Considine when I was doing my spiel on it. I think he's one of the best kings in anything I've ever seen. And I've seen a lot of things with royalty in it. He's just mm-hmm. got this... And it's funny because he's not even necessarily a good king. He's just a king everybody likes. Nobody hates this guy. The The civil war of the family is pretty much only prevented because he's alive and everybody likes him. Nobody wants to see him hurting or his family getting split apart. They all hate each other, but everybody likes this guy, which is so weird for a show about royalty. Everyone's looking to depose the ruler, usually. But he's Viserys the Peaceful. Everybody, the whole kingdom respects this guy. He's just a gentle man who wants to study his histories and make sure his family's happy. And he can't do any of that right, but you want to see him do it. He's so good. Mm -hmm. One of the best performances I've seen this year, for sure. My number two seed... Star Trek, Strange New Worlds. This one, I was pretty darn hyped about at the start. Because even though I haven't been a fan of modern Star Trek, we're, I'm, I didn't really care for Star Trek Discovery. I don't like Star Trek Picard either. I am a big fan of Lower Decks, though. I had hope for Strange New Worlds because Captain Pike on Season 2 of Discovery was the best written character by far on that show. And Ansem Mount as the character was just incredibly magnetic immediately. And this is a guy I wanted to see lead his whole show. Even more so when you consider that the original pilot for Star Trek in 1966 starred Christopher Pike as the captain of the Enterprise. And his number, him and his uh, number one, who he called number one, and Spock. And... That pilot didn't get picked up, and then we got the one we all know with Captain James T. Kirk and Star Trek win as it was. But now, 60 years later, Captain Pike finally gets his own show with that cast that they teased back in 1966. So it's long overdue for this show. And this is a return to form for the Star Trek franchise, man. We're finally telling episodic stories again that don't feel the need to have season-long stakes that's not what star trek was ever about it was about the the crazy see uh the crazy overarching plots of galactic doom and in, in the face of overwhelming odds that was there with your borg or your um founders or whatever but this is a return to episodic storytelling about great hour-long individual sci-fi concepts that they just run in new week to week. There was a return to optimism, uh, a show in 2022 that's smartly written and actually cares to show a, a positive version of the future where we do get 
over our differences and do make a better tomorrow and the goodness of humanity prevails and we spread that out across the galaxy and we get to see that week to week. The characters are thoughtful. They actually act like adults, which is so rare in modern entertainment where everyone seems to have the mental capacity of a five-year-old in an adult's body. But the characters are written like adults and they all have very complex relationships and uh, emotional character arcs that I get invested in. And they do the legacy characters really well and they do the new characters very well. It's just, it's, and the budget looks, is actually big. It's colorful, it's bold, like the original Star Trek. It looks great. This is a return to form for Star Trek. One of my favorite Star Trek shows ever. And I've seen them all. And it's one of the few Star Trek shows that actually has a fantastic first season. And you don't even need to see any other Star Trek, I think, to like this one. It's very standalone show, too. You can just watch Strange New Worlds and just get Strange New Worlds. And this is, could be your exposure to Star Trek. So it's, it doesn't even have any baggage to it. It's just such a great show all around. It makes me feel hope. It makes me feel good. It gives me that version of the future I want to see where just right now we're just in this society where everyone's very cynical about everything. Things are looking bleak in all manners of life. People just don't have a lot of hope right now. So I'm glad that there's a well-written show that can show us a good path to the future. And we need stuff like this. And I'm glad it's good. That's my number two. That's good. Yeah, I know nothing about this show and this universe. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Refer back to episode My, uh, seven where I explained it all to you. Yeah, I've forgotten everything. Uh, <laughs> anyway, I haven't. I'm just kidding. My number two is The Batman. I thought this was probably the best live action superhero film that I've seen. Top two are probably this and The Dark Knight, obviously. And then third is Iron Man. Uh. But yeah, I really love this film. I actually recently just rewatched it. Hmm. It's so well done. Cinematography is amazing. It just feels like, and I'm pretty sure I said this back in episode seven. It just feels like, okay, what if Batman was somewhat realistic? You know, what if these characters lived in a realistic world? And that's just what it feels like. All the characters around it. The tone is really good. Robert Pattinson is brilliant as Batman with just the subtle looks he gives to Gordon sometimes, even when he's talking to other people, especially with uh, Catwoman. Um, Robert Pattinson and uh, Zoe Kravitz's chemistry is out of this world. Some of the best that you've seen probably since Batman Returns, which I've uh, finished watching Batman Returns and Batman 1989. Both very good movies for the time. I really like them, uh, but I think this one just knocks it out of the park. Action's really good. The only thing I didn't like was like the jumpsuit where he jumps off the building, but I'm pretty sure it's like a prototype. I think it's really good. Even the finale, some people had criticisms with. I don't think they needed to show the Joker at the end. I think there's like a problem with the Joker and how he needs to be shoehorned into everything Batman. But you know, that's one little nitpick. But man, it just it gets me so excited for the sequel, especially this version of Batman and his future adventures. Paul Dano is really good. I wish he wasn't in the mask for most of it because a lot of his performance is through his face and he's really good with that. But yeah, one of the best films of the year by far. 
Fantastic. I also want to piggyback off you and mention how you talk about how gritty the Batman is. Somehow they were grittier than Nolan. Nolan was yeah. the dark and gritty version, but this one's even grittier and more His real His action's life. so brutal. He literally caves in a man's face at the end. <laughs> it's so good. Robert Pattinson's action's really well done. It's, and it, it, the, the way it's shot, too, is really... Well, you can follow it. It's almost... It's not, like, long one-takes, but it's not jump cuts a lot, which I really love. The very first Matt Reeves is shot such it. a brilliant... Matt Reeves is such a brilliant director. I loved him from the Planet of the Apes movies, and I'm excited yeah. for the next Batman. He's so good. So, my number one piece of entertainment for 2022, which, if you've done the math, you can probably guess by now, is... Andor. Andor. Yep. This is, for me, the best Star Wars since 1980. I have been very down on Star Wars since about... Oh, do I want to go back and say 2012? I've had problems since How so? 2012. <laughs> While I was very invested in the expanded universe as a child, it, most of my lore besides Star Wars movies was from the comic books, the TV shows, the... Well, not even the TV... They didn't really have TV shows, but the, the comic books, the video games... The novels. The, the novels. I consumed all that stuff as a child. And then in 2012, when they bought Lucasfilm... When Lucasfilm was bought by Disney, they said all that stuff was no longer canon. So I had problems. Oh, yeah. And then when Force Awakens came out, they basically just adapted the same stuff from the EU, but worse. Like, Ben Solo, like, okay, so Han Solo's son that went to the dark side, that was already a story, which he scrapped. Remember, this is you talking good about Star Wars, I have to remind you. You need to start talking good. (laughs) you You brought back Thrawn later? Oh, okay. That's a pity thing, but fine, I'll take it. So, and then you, you basically just brought back everything they did in the expanded universe anyway for the sequels, but just a worse version of it. So, Star Wars has been pissing me off for a good long while now, and not really much light in the darkness there. Minus Rogue One, which I really liked, um, and The Mandalorian as well, and Rebels as well. There's, there's been a couple things. It's really, actually, well, I really Book of liked- Boba Fett. I didn't hate it. I'm not as down on it as everybody, but it's just kind of a big meh. But Andor is, it's so well written. This is a show that maybe more than any other show has finally made Star Wars feel the most like Star Wars as in a long time. They have that underdog spirit again. The Empire feels scarier than it ever has. Dedramiro even though she has no force powers whatsoever, is nearly as intimidating as Vader sometimes. Not quite that level, but she's scary, man. They have She's so good. They have crazy villains like that. And Cassian Andor, I didn't know if he could lead his own show, but he's got a really cool story as well about learning to go from a loner to a team player. You have Luthen, played by Stellan Skarsgård, who is one of the best Star Wars characters of all time. Just his monologues, the one in particular, is instantly iconic. The show does monologues so well. I never had a show rile me up so much that by the very last episode, I was ready to riot with the rest of everything. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I was punching the air. I wanted to kick something. Like, it was... It it built up so well. I love the way it was structured with the story arcs. 
and I was invested in them all, the world building was crazy, without feeling like it was trying to shoehorn in nostalgia and cameos down our throats, which I do enjoy, it's fun, but sometimes it feels like that's all it's trying to do. But Andor used its cameos smartly, the few that it did have. It built on a lot of different aspects of the rebellion. It saw the ground up, the guys who were doing the jobs, the guys who were planning the jobs, the politician side. The you, you get to see the rebellion from all different angles here and how it forms and how it becomes a movement across the galaxy. It's about tyranny and oppression and even though it's a dark show not a lot of humor in it and there's a lot of mature subject matter there's this underlying thing of as bad as things are people will rise up and rebel and make things better for themselves because when you squeeze so hard they're gonna slip through the cracks because you you can't oppress people that hard without there being consequences. It, there's just this message of hope throughout the show, even though the galaxy is arguably at its worst stage. You have these good people who are willing to sacrifice everything to make things better. Like Luthen said, they sacrifice themselves for a sunrise they know they'll never see. And that's the messaging behind Andor. And if you've seen Rogue One, you know how it turns out for him. So that makes it all more, all the more poignant. What he chooses to sacrifice to join this cause. And yeah, the cinematography is great. It's some of the best special effects I've ever seen on TV. I was never taken out of it for the special effects. Its costume design is beautiful. The acting is amazing. Some of the best all-around performances, really well-written characters. And you know what? As much as I rag on Star Wars, that's why I got to put it up top over something like House of the Dragon, which I think is also amazingly well-written. But at the end of the day, we got two amazingly well-written shows, but this is Star Wars. This is what I like about Star Wars. This is Star Wars that makes me feel like a kid again, but it's for adults, and it's written so well. So, you know what, as much as I have a problem with my favorite franchises, when my favorite franchises hit right, they go really big. They go to number one of 2022. So that's my number one. Yeah, love that. Uh, and again, my number one, probably do the math, is Top Gun Maverick. Love Great this choice. fucking movie so much. It's my made favorite me, movie of 2022. Made me believe in movies again. And just gave me so much... I, I, I earned so much... I earned. I can't even talk anymore. But it made me have so much respect for Tom Cruise and just the type of filmmaker he is where I'm pretty sure this film was first advertised back in 2019, wow. and he patiently waited so long for it to have it be the best film experience in the theater, which, my God, it was. I was able to see this at IMAX. The action is so good. Most of it is real or, you know, compositioned in really well. You feel like you're in there with the pilots as they're moving. And it's not even just it's so good on an action level, but a story level as well, where each character is written pretty brilliantly. And it's not this, you know, there's obviously with the pilots, there's different, all types of, you know, different color races between the pilots and different genders, people from all different types of backgrounds, but it's not shoved in your face. It's just, oh, here's the best pilots in the world. Deal with it. 
And it's not because, oh, she's a woman or she or he's black or whatever. It's just, no, these are just the best pilots. And it's a and it's it, it just works in the movie. You know, it's not in your face. And that's really what I think movies should be <laughs> filmed like, uh, especially in House of the Dragons. There's um a whole family that is from African descent, but it's not the focus of the story. It's just that's just what they are. And it works in in the story. And especially with Maverick, he's it just feels like it did 30 years ago where he is a little bit grown up and a little bit more mature, but he's still that same Maverick who was a bit cocky. Uh, the opening sequence of him going to 10 G's in that spacecraft is really good. Uh, the, you know, him beating the time and proving John Hamm wrong is really fucking good. It's so tense. Uh, and then his relationship with Rooster is really good. Especially the comedic moments are really funny. When he's like, hey, are you good? Yeah, you heard it all? No. Shoves him to the ground. What are you doing? Why are you here? You it's told me not to think. It's such a good movie. Yeah. <clears throat> it's such a good movie. And I haven't seen it since. But man, if I could just replay that movie over and over again, it's really good. Especially even John Hamm's character where you're supposed to hate him. I don't hate him at all. He's a really well-written uh, general or colonel. You know, he, I see where he's coming like, from. yeah, he is a little out of line. Yeah. And they brought back Iceman for a scene. And if you know anything about Val Kimmer and what he's going through, it's so sad what the poor man has been going through. But they were able to make that work and have it not seem too gimmicky. It's just a fantastic film. And it deserves to be number one on all the films list this year. Agreed. All right, so you want to recap your list quick and uh, just from 10 yeah, to 1? Yeah, going through uh, yeah, 10, for, 10 to 1, Elvis, then Kenobi, Stranger Things, Light and Magic, Moon Knight, Andor, God of War Ragnarok, House of the Dragon, The Batman, Top Gun Maverick. 10 to 1, Stranger Things Season 4, The Batman, Cobra Kai Season 5, Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent, House of the Dragon, Peacemaker, The Fablemans, Top Gun Maverick, Strange New Worlds, and Andor. We had a lot of overlap this time. Mm-hmm. See, oh, we sorry. Some I, things. When it comes to the best stuff, we agree. When it's anything <laughs> in the middle and below, we have wildly different opinions. Which is what in That's our Marvel, what's funny about our Marvel list, yeah. Yeah, because like the top ones were all the same. It was all the bottom ones that were like, like didn't you put mm-hmm. like no this Falcon one's the, the worst. So- <laughs> you put like Falcon and the Winter Soldier smack in the middle and i put it right at the bottom but like like it was the middle of bottoms that are so different oh sorry speaking of that uh i see it a note in the document to remind me to say she hulk is my favorite show <laughs> i typed that as you were typing stuff out and i wondered if you were gonna notice it i haven't scrolled that far <laughs> down since we started <laughs> oh man i saw you were typing in the in the Google Doc, and I was like, let's see if I can get him. <laughs> Let me see yeah. if I can get him again. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Like Ron uh, Burgundy, I read the teleprompt. Go fuck yourself, San Diego. I didn't want to say it. <laughs> uh, hey, She-Hulk is good because Daredevil's in it. <laughs> right? Well, it helped. And Definitely that shitty helped. suit. I never liked that suit, oh, even before. I don't know why they did that one. Such a bad color palette. So anyway, bad. I don't want to give show, I don't want to give Eric time. If that's his color palette, if that's his color palette in Born Again, I'm out. <laughs> I am out. 
No, that's we're, his California uh, suit. I think they were specific about that. We're, also, I think the best... they made a statement. They made a statement saying it wasn't going to be as gory as the Netflix one, which we don't need gore, but at least hope make the action good. Anyway. Please just bring back a lot of that crew from that Daredevil. I have high hopes. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so any final words you want to say for 2022? You know, 2022 has been a hit and miss with a lot of films that I've seen, but you know, television is made up for it. So, um, yeah, it's been okay. Really excited for 2023, especially with uh, some of the stuff. I'm excited for, you know, Guardians 3. I'm excited for Indiana Jones. Uh, mm. There's a few. Oh, Spider-Verse. That's a really high one potentially for me. I hope that's so good. Um, yeah, I can't really think of anything else. All right, well, I think this has been a good, I'm not going to say good first year for close-up just because, you know, our actual anniversary for it won't be till about February or so. But in terms of 2022, it was a good first eight, ten months or so for, for close-up, and I'm happy you all could be here to join us for it and listen to us rant and rave about our favorite stuff and argue a ton. We argue all the time. That's part of the fun of it. Uh, it's, uh, it's, it's what it's makes things interesting. Most. It's fun for us most of the time. I sure hope it's fun for you guys. It's mm-hmm. yeah, we have fun doing this show. We see a lot of great stuff. We'll take a, a small of... break. I'm pretty sure small break between the holidays, but we'll be back. Yeah, and we might take a week or two off, but uh, and we'll be back in January. Hopefully, not with something terrible. Maybe we'll do. Uh, you wanted to do one on the whale, so maybe we'll talk about that. Yeah, there's the whale. Oh, what's coming out? Jan- oh, the Last of Us show. That's what's coming out January fifteenth. All right, so we got to do our full episode on The Last of Us, for sure. We have a lot to say oh, about part two. Part two, fuck. Listen to, I have to uh, beat part two now. <laughs> I think it's the last. I think it's the last episode. It was we list where I go off. Yeah. Yeah. So that was last week, two weeks ago. By the time this one comes out, so yeah, listen to that one or or don't uh, and save the Last of Us part two discussion for January. Do it. Listen to every review we've ever done, no, especially please. the Book of Boba Fett. <laughs> Our very first, when we hadn't seen each other in five years, and this is like the first time oh, we'd seen man. each other was that first episode. So I think it went pretty well considering we're still here. Yeah, looking back on it. Yeah, we're up to episode 37 now. Woo-woo! All righty. Well, you can find me at Ryan Walker Official on Instagram and on TikTok. And pretty soon, I'm going to start streaming on the main channel. Not on close-up yet, because Joe won't give me the password. But no, that's not the reason. Uh, but I'll be doing it on my own YouTube channel, which is just Ryan Walker. And I think it's Ryan Walker Official still or Rye Guy Studios. I don't know how YouTube works yet or anymore. All right. You can find me on Instagram, TikTok, and Facebook at ThoughtPlay Media. Also, check out the Close Up with Ryan and Joe Facebook page for latest updates on the show. If you listen to us in audio, check out our YouTube channel. And if you're on YouTube, find us anywhere you get your favorite podcasts. Also, be sure to leave us comments and reviews, as that's a big help. And how about clicking that like button or sharing if you enjoyed this? We hope to see you next year on Close Up with Ryan and Joe as we ring in 2023. Till next time. Happy holidays.